We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Go episode 544 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, April 6th, 2023, and we now are three weeks away from the first round of the 2023 NFL draft. April 27th is the first round. The NFL draft news is picking up. The commanders on Thursday reportedly are hosting Florida guard Osiris Torrance for a pre draft visit. I love that name, Osiris Torrance. You know, it is tricky with guards. Uh, On the one hand, their positional value, not exactly sky high. After all, there's a reason that uh, then Redskins head coach Jay Gruden years ago talked as he talked about the skins in the 2015 NFL draft, having spent the number five overall pick on a guy who became a guard, or as Jay said it, a guard, Brandon Sheriff. Many other ones a guard. Yes, as Jay said, a guard. Uh, So the position of guard, not great positional value. However, as we saw with the complete collapse of the commander's offensive line this past season, bad guard play can hurt a team big time. And uh, this guy, Osiris Torrance, is appealing. 6'5", 330. He this past season became the first Florida guard to be named a consensus All-American. He is viewed by many as the top true guard prospect in this draft. Also, the Commanders reportedly this week have hosted another intriguing player, Penn State corner Joey Porter Jr. for a pre-draft visit. Uh, I likey myself some Joey Porter Jr. He is maybe slash probably the top press corner in the draft. A six foot two and a half long-armed corner would fit in rather nicely in the Commander's secondary. Hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. We on Wednesday had more come up regarding the sale of the Commanders, including more on the mystery that is the status of Amazon founder Jeff Bezos and an updated timeline on when we might finally have a freaking ending <laughs> to this sale. Uh, next segment, I'll take you through the very latest and then welcome on Commander's insider Ben Standig of The Athletic for part one of a two-part conversation. We, in this part one, will focus on the sale of the team, given 
that the sale was uh, prominently in the news on Wednesday. Ben will give us his insight on what the heck is going on with Jeff Bezos, as well as those entities that actually have submitted bids on the commanders, at least as has been reported. Also, Ben was at the NFL's annual league meeting, which took place in Phoenix, Arizona last week. He conducted a one-on-one interview with Commander's head coach Rod Rivera. We're going to hit on that as it relates to the sale. I am going to talk Wizards. Uh, Not so much their game on Wednesday night, a 134-116 loss at the Atlanta Hawks as the Wizards continued their tank. But the big news on Wednesday morning, the report from Wizards insider Josh Robbins of The Athletic that the Wizards are keeping Wes Unsell Jr. as their head coach for next season. Uh, I will discuss the Nationals. Uh, They on Wednesday afternoon lost to the Tampa Bay Rays 7-2 at Nationals Park to complete a three-game sweep and to amplify what is a Kenyan-like gap between the Nats and the Rays right now. The Rays are what the Nats in their rebuild need to aspire to be. And they'll get into the Orioles. Uh, they on Wednesday afternoon did lose a 5-2 loss at the Texas Rangers, denying the O's a three-game sweep. But the result of the game took a backseat to the Orioles' starting pitcher in the game, Grayson Rodriguez. The man Known as Grayrod, he, per MLB Pipeline, is the number seven prospect in baseball and the number two pitching prospect in baseball. He made his major league regular season debut, and he did a good job, especially considering that he had a uh, rather rough exhibition season. But Grayrod, on Wednesday afternoon, two runs in five innings, five strikeouts. He gave up just four hits and a walk. Uh, By the way, it is now official. Maryland basketball has hired Mike Jones as an assistant coach. The Terrapins made the announcement on Wednesday afternoon. Mike Jones spent the last two seasons as associate head coach at Virginia Tech. He was the head coach at DeMatha Catholic High School in Hyattsville, Maryland for 19 seasons, 2002 to 2021. This is big for Maryland recruiting. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Joe in Silver Spring, Maryland on Rod Rivera, especially of our recent conversations about the language of Ron, what I call Ronnie's. Right, Joe. Great podcast as usual. You've mentioned on several occasions Rivera's tendency to contradict himself in his public comments during his tenure as Washington head coach. And it seems to me that he tends to say whatever he thinks sounds like the best explanation for a situation he happens to find himself in at any given moment. However, I wanted to take exception to one thing you've questioned recently regarding Ron's current praise of Sam Howell versus Ron's unwillingness to even start Sam in last year's season-ending meaningless game against the Cowboys. While it's true that there was this awkward public back and forth on whether Howell or Taylor Heineke would start the game, I do recall Rivera at some point after the season saying that his plan always was for Howell to play in that game. The only question was, would Howell start the game or would Heineke start and then Howell come in at some point? I don't remember where I heard this, but I recall the reasoning was that this could allow the team to see what the Cowboys defense was doing before putting Howell in the game, just to give him the best possible chance to succeed in his first game. It sounded 
like Ron wanted to use Heineke to give Howell a leg up and help Howell out in his first game, maybe just to make sure that Howell wasn't clobbered by the Cowboys' defense. And Heineke, being the smart guy that he is, knew that this was the plan, so he chose to opt out. It was reported at the time that Heineke wanted to give Howell a chance to start, but now we know what really happened. Not to knock Heineke for this at all, as why should he allow himself to be used in this way and risk injury heading into possibly his one and only shot at a decent free agent contract? My point is just that although Rivera constantly contradicts himself, in this case, I don't see it that way. Howell was going to play in the game either way. It was only a question of would he play all four quarters or say three plus quarters. Not much of a difference if you think about it that way. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you for the email, Joe. I appreciate that. Yeah, I have mentioned uh, many times that the original idea for that win over the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field in Week 18 was for Taylor Heineke to be the starting quarterback and then have Sam Howell relieve Taylor. Uh, So yeah, the idea always was for Sam to play in that game. But, you know, that plan of Taylor starting Sam relieving That plan was predicated on this idea that Sam wasn't ready to start an NFL regular season game, that there needed to be these like training wheels of Taylor Heineke to ease into the game before Sam Howell could come into the game. And yet, just days later, Rod Rivera was telling offensive coordinator candidates that Sam Howell was being positioned to be the commander's QB1 for the 2023 season. How did we go from Ron not even viewing Sam as capable of starting an NFL regular season game, even one in which Sam would have been used in a relief role, to then Ron just days later positioning Sam to be the commander's QB1 for the 2023 season. That is the Ronnie's in that situation. You know, it is very unusual to have a quarterback plan for an NFL regular season game, even one for a team that has been eliminated from playoff contention as the commanders had been to start one guy with the idea that he'll play a little bit and will make things easier for the next guy. Like, how often do you see anything like that in the NFL? Ron Rivera didn't think that Sam Howell was fully ready to start an NFL regular season game. And to Sam's credit, he was ready. Ron misread where Sam was at. And, you know, there are some things about that game that get forgotten that make what Sam Howell did look even better. Sam did what he did despite uh, two big third down drops by commander's receivers. Terry McLaurin had a bad drop in the first quarter. Jahan Dodson had a bad drop in the third quarter. Uh, Sam did what he did despite playing with a depleted supporting cast. The commanders in that game were without their top three running backs. Brian Robinson Jr., Antonio Gibson, and J.D. McKissick all were out due to injury. And the commanders in that game were without a number of offensive linemen. Right tackle Cornelius Lucas, centers Chase Roulier and Tyler Larson, left guard Andrew Norwell, all were out due to injury. And Sam did what he did in facing a Cowboys defense that finished the 2022 regular season number two in the NFL in total defense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric. Now, the Cowboys, as the game went on, didn't have a lot to play for as uh, their chance of winning the NFC East faded away as the uh, Philadelphia Eagles were beating the New York Giants on that day. But still, Sam Howell in that win over the Cowboys played well. (laughs) And Ron Rivera's original idea was that Sam would not start the game, would play in the game, but would not start the game because he wasn't truly ready to start an NFL regular season game. And you know what makes all of that even funnier? 
Sam's first pass in the game was what? (laughs) A touchdown pass. His first NFL regular season pass attempt was a touchdown pass. A first quarter 16-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Terry McLaurin. So, so much for Sam not being good to go for the beginning of the game. Email from Craig Sandin on the commander's divorce from NBC Sports Washington. Yeah, I talked about the divorce on last Friday's show, episode 540, Monumental Sports and Entertainment. This past September announced the completion of a purchase of full ownership of NBC Sports Washington. Monumental in 2016 had bought 33% of NBC Sports Washington. Monumental now owns 100% of NBC Sports Washington. Uh, Monumental owns the uh, Capitals and the Wizards, among other things. And Monumental and the Commanders have parted ways off a years-long broadcast partnership by which NBC Sports Washington paid the team millions of dollars and had a lot of programming based on the team. Uh, Writes Craig, this is not good news, and I don't see what the team's alternative for local television coverage is. Certainly not Masson, especially with the Nationals and Orioles playing on Sunday afternoons in September. I, for years, enjoyed NBC Sports Washington's postgame coverage of Washington games, including the interviews and press conferences. I always listened to the radio feed of games due to the national television announce teams for Washington games being bad. Just takes a bit to sync up the radio feed. I hope that the team and NBC Sports Washington can come to a resolution. Uh, Thank you for the email, Craig. I do think that a resolution, maybe a modified agreement is possible because Craig is right. There aren't a ton of alternatives for local television coverage for the commanders. Uh, Not with the way that local television coverage of sports continues to be de-emphasized and continues to be done on the cheap. You know, I suppose, say, a local over-the-air channel like Fox 5 or NBC 7 or WUSA 9 could ramp up its post-game commander's coverage. But in the cases of Fox 5 and WUSA 9, uh, those channels are affiliates of Fox and CBS, respectively. And Fox and CBS, of course, have NFL games on Sunday afternoons. Uh, The local sports media landscape is changing, man, is changing a lot, both in terms of radio and television. Uh, Radio and television stations do not want to spend money. People's listening and viewing habits are changing drastically And we more and more are seeing a complete melting of the lines between outlet and team. Like, think about the top two regional sports networks, the top two RSNs in the Washington, D.C. area. They are owned by teams. NBC Sports Washington now is owned by the Capitals and Wizards, and Masson is owned by the Orioles. Uh, My former employer, the Team 980, it for a decade was owned by the Redskins. So things be a changing. Uh, that's why podcasts are the way. Digital is the way. Independent, unfiltered content that is not at the mercy of uh, you know corporate decision makers and not at the mercy of uh, boneheaded lineup changes, and that has a lot of freedom with which hosts can do as they please. Podcasts are the way. Digital is the way. And you know we more and more are seeing people go this route. Look at Pat McAfee, amazing success doing his own thing. The Pat McAfee show may be the number one sports show in the country. And the show isn't on ESPN or FS1. The show isn't on ESPN Radio or Fox Sports Radio. No, the show is on YouTube and is available via podcast. And the show has become a monster. Well, 
I just said monster. Uh, if you have been watching Nationals games this season, you know that the Sun Monster <laughs> has messed with multiple players in games at Nationals Park. The Sun Monster is a mighty monster. If only those players had better sunglasses, like Shady Ray's sunglasses. And for these players, and more importantly for you, Shady Ray's is offering a great deal. 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses at ShadyRays.com. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the promo code ALGALDI. Shady Rays sunglasses. They look good. They feel good. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's affordable and durable with clear optics for whatever you're doing outside. And Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements, meaning that if you lose or break your pair of sunglasses, even on day one, Shady Rays will send you a brand new pair of sunglasses, no questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because Shady Rays has your back long after your purchase. Here's a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Yeah, 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. If you don't love them, you can exchange them for sunglasses that you do love, or you can return your sunglasses for a full refund within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Shady Rays always has your back. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. If you have been thinking about getting new sunglasses, now is the time. And Shady Rays is the way. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. That's ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Also, Shady Rays has done some great work, has donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. Shady Rays, look good and feel good. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, a sincere salute to all of you who have given this podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Uh, much appreciated. Also, thank you to all of you who have written reviews of the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Those things help us out a lot. If you have not rated or reviewed the podcast, please consider doing so. If you're on Apple Podcasts, you can just tap 
the five stars for the five-star rating, and you can write a simple one or two-sentence review saying that you like the podcast. Again, much appreciated. Uh, We will all appreciate when the sale of the Commanders is over. When that will be, we do not know. Uh, Something else that we still do not know is the extent to which Amazon founder Jeff Bezos is a factor in the sale. You know, the longer that this sale drags on, the more that you wonder if the Bezos factor is the reason. It was on March 28th that we had multiple reports of actual certified bids for the commanders. Multiple reports that the group being led by Philadelphia 76ers managing partner and New Jersey Devils managing partner Josh Harris has submitted a fully funded offer of $6 billion for the commanders and multiple reports that Canadian billionaire Steve Apostolopoulos has submitted a fully funded offer of $6 billion for the commanders. But since those reports, not a lot out there about where we are in the process of the sale of the Commanders. And it sure seems that our Commanders co-owner and co-CEO, Dan Snyder, wants Jeff Bezos involved in the bidding. Charles Gasparino, Fox Business Network senior correspondent, he by his own admission gets at least some of his intel on the sale of the Commanders from Team Dan Snyder. Gasparino in recent weeks has put out a number of tweets communicating that Dan Snyder is open to Jeff Bezos bidding on the team. And we on Wednesday morning got yet another tweet from Gasparino communicating that Dan is open to Jeff bidding on the team. Quote, as I reported, Snyder is open to a Jeff Bezos Commanders bid more color, Snyder rep met with Bezos rep communicated this weeks ago, and Snyder understands Bezos doesn't run Washington Post edit content. Bezos likely push sale firmly into $6 billion range, end quote. So that is new that a Dan Snyder rep met with a Jeff Bezos rep weeks ago and communicated that Dan is open to Jeff bidding on the commanders. Additionally, sports business insider A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports, he on Wednesday afternoon reported this, quote, Jeff Bezos hasn't entered the bidding for the Washington commanders, but the Amazon founder will be given every opportunity to do so. Sources told Front Office Sports that the current deadline for Commander's owner Dan Snyder to pick a winning bidder remains weeks, not days, away. In the meantime, Josh Harris's group remains the frontrunner. Sources said the current target to select a bidder is ahead of the start of the next owner's meetings on May 22nd, a day before the Commander's start their voluntary off-season workouts, also known as organized team activities, End quote. Boy, it could not be clear that Danny Boy wants Jeff to bid on the team. But is Jeff bidding on the team? Does he want to bid on the team? Is he ticked off at Dan for Dan reportedly having prevented Jeff from bidding on the team due to Jeff owning the Washington Post, with which Dan has feuded for years? Uh, I will be quite glad when this sale is over. I know that many of you feel the same way. And I know that the man who we now welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast feels that way. Commander's insider Ben Standig of The Athletic he is with us for part one of a two-part conversation. We, in part two, are going to go in-depth on actual Commander's football, including what the team is thinking with the upcoming 2023 NFL draft, how much better the team is off 
what it has done in free agency and how legitimate this Sam Howell, Jacoby Brissett quarterback competition that commander's head coach Ron Rivera is uh, touting will be. But in this part one of our conversation with Ben Standig, we discuss what matters the most right now with the commanders, the sale of the team. Ben has done a lot of reporting on the sale. He is the host of the Standig Room Only podcast, and you can follow Ben on Twitter at Ben Standing. Hey, Ben, the last time that we spoke on a podcast, uh, it was on your podcast. It was on Friday evening, February 17th, off the breaking news of the commanders hiring Eric Bieniemy as assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator. And we chatted in the 7 p.m. hour, and I have a five-year-old son and a two-year-old daughter. And so I, as they were, uh, was in <laughs> my pajamas. And this is great. Ben said to me before we started, as we were on Zoom, are you in your pajamas? <laughs> yes, Ben. Yes, I was. But I'm happy to say that I am not in pajamas right now, just so you know. <laughs> all, all, all good. Uh, you, you did me a solid that time I got you. Uh, well, it was, it was bedtime and you're in the Galdi world where uh, time is a very different thing than for the rest of us. But uh, all good. I, I appreciate you dressing up. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Jeff Bezos, the number one mystery to me in this sale of the commanders is the extent to which Jeff Bezos is involved, because, of course, his wealth is such that he can easily win the bidding on the team if he wants to win the bidding on the team. You know, it's funny. It was first reported all the way back on November 3rd, the day after the team announced that Dan and Tanya Snyder were considering, quote, potential transactions, end quote, with the team that Jeff Bezos was interested in buying the team. But here we are more than five months later, and his status remains unclear. We lately have been getting these tweets from Charles Gasparino. Do you have a feel for how much Bezos is a factor in the sale of the team? Or is the Bezos factor something on which everyone other than Bezos is in the dark? I mean, as best as I can tell, I just think everybody is is in the dark. I mean, I you know... We, you, you and I talked about a little bit about this off offline a uh, week or so ago. I've lost track of time here, but uh, you know, I just think that it's one thing. Like if we're all speculating on, you know, like what quarterback was Washington going to get this offseason? You could talk to a number of people around the league or or, or or with the team or elsewhere who might give you a feel for why it wouldn't be Derek Carr or why it could be a Jacoby Brissett or why they won't trade up or will trade up. I don't. There's just nobody talking here. Dan Snyder is the is the answer. I mean, I don't even think that like Jason Wright and Ron Rivera. But when they say that they don't exactly know what's going on, I don't think that's wrong. I don't think they're being cute about it. I, I think or, or trying to deflect. I think there's only a really a small handful of people who know, and that's going to be the same where case in, in in Bezos's world, right? I mean, these people at that level of, of society and wealth and all that. They they are pretty good about keeping things insulated. So I I don't know. I think the Jeff Bezos thing to this point, there's very little evidence over the time that suggests he's actually in this. Now I, we you know it's been reported. I think we had a little bit of this as well that you know he did um, speak to an investment bank about possibly looking into this, and that he was being uh, the. Band, whatever you want to say, he wasn't being allowed to, to bid initially or whatever, but or get involved. But that's still not the same as saying he is. And you know, the the, the reporting that came out the other day, starting with Adam Schefter reporting that both the Josh Harris Group and 
I'll let you say at the Apostolopolis. Am I saying that? Am I even close on that? <laughs> it seems to either be Apostolopolis or Apostolopolis, but how exactly you say the guy's last name is unclear. You got one of them, so good job. All right, well, so that, that, that those two groups put in a bid for $6 billion. Like, even that, like, look what happened. Like, almost nobody's been able to confirm that uh, the Canadian billionaire is bid as that. And then now there's, like, other questions about, like, you know, how how locked in are these bids? And, like, that what the Charles Gasparino guy, who's, who, who's an admitted friend of Snyder, keeps coming out now and saying, oh, Dan would be open to a Jeff Bezos bid. Like, it feels like they're trying to use him to, you know, try to lure him into this more than it is like he's been in it. So I really don't know where Bezos is at. Maybe he's, uh, you know, he's the guy who wants to make the last second uh, splash move and blow everybody's uh, minds. But I, there's no real tangible evidence that he's been involved other than that we all just cannot keep talking about it. You're right. I mean, to the degree that there is tangible evidence with any of this stuff with the sale of the commanders, there isn't that evidence for Jeff Bezos being involved. Uh, as things stand right now, do you believe that it is accurate to say that the Josh Harris group is the favorite to win the bidding for the commanders? Yeah, I mean, at least they've been involved this whole time in a ball of groups. They're the one who at each checkpoint, yep, they're kind of, you know, yep, we're, we're in this. And everybody else is like, you know, Tillman Fertitta, I don't know, right off the bat, it was like, yeah. He's interested, but automatically his bid is lower than than the perception of what Snyder is looking for. Uh, this Canadian situation, I mean, I don't know what to make of this guy. My, my initial thought was this is somebody who's just trying to update their Wikipedia page, and that was before we learned he may also now be looking to buy an NHL team, and he had already been looking at possibly an NBA team. So all simultaneously, I hope this guy, I mean, Jeff Bezos wouldn't be buying three teams at once, even if he could afford it, let alone this guy who it doesn't on, you know, based on what you see online, doesn't seem like there's enough money to do all these things. So, um, but the Josh Harris group, it's been the one where, you know, we know about another partner that's coming on board, Mitchell rails. We know about magic Johnson. And while that may be less, more about the personality than the money, it's a sign of something. All the other groups, we're not getting any of that. So I, I think to me, he's exactly like the one group that is, whether you want to say it's in the lead or not, it's the one group that seems legit. And the rest, it's like, I need to see a lot more before I can say they're definitely in this. We're talking with Commanders Insider Ben Standig of The Athletic about the sale of the Commanders. You were at the NFL's annual league meeting, which took place in Phoenix, Arizona last week. You had a one-on-one with Commander's head coach, Ron Rivera, he said to you regarding his job status with the new owner, quote, the new owner has to believe in what I'm talking about, and if not, I'll be gone in a year, end quote. Uh, we also at the league meeting had team president Jason Wright speaking rather openly about the sale being a thing that is happening. Of course, there all along has been this fear that Dan Snyder will end up not selling the team or will only sell a minority portion of the team. That concern even exists among some NFL owners. Uh, I guess to a head on Tuesday's show, episode 542, NFL business insider Andrew Beaton of the Wall Street Journal. He talked about some NFL owners feeling this way. But given how Ron and Jason are talking, do you think that we're now at a stage at which we can confidently say that Dan is selling majority ownership of the team? Yeah, I, I think so. I wrote a, a story a couple of weeks ago and in about um, 
some bonuses that uh, signing bonuses that players are getting paid and, and when the when the installments are starting and i started the article by saying at this point the conversation is not if but when and you know i think that's still true i think the, the unknowns and what makes the quest hard to officially like say 100 percent it's going to happen is one you know we've watched the last 23 years under dan snyder and you know who he, we, we know he can uh you know he, who knows what's going to happen and two, you know, things like the indemnification, if that's really something he's going to press the NFL on, you know, then what happens there? You know, does that, does that ultimately break things down? But by and large, and just, you know, you mentioned Rivera and Wright, things that they've said publicly, I think also just, you know, the vibe I'm getting privately from people in the building. Uh, I just, everybody seems to believe it is, it is going to happen. So that, that, that's what gives me confidence that that's the case. And this isn't just like a 50 50 call. That there's just too much working towards the direction of a sale, even just the way you know people are over there casually talking about it, body language, things like that. By the way, regarding that report that you had on the commanders this offseason paying out bonuses and contracts later than normal, how'd you like Rod Rivera in his session with you guys on March 28th at the league meeting, unsolicited confirming that report? Wait, did he say that? I gotta go back. Did I, did yeah. I miss this? Yeah, he did. Say, he did say that. He's like, we did the thing with the contracts that we did in Carolina. Certainly sounded like he was talking about what you reported. I don't know what else he would have been talking about. Uh, well, uh, I gotta, uh, I gotta double check on that. But yeah, I mean, uh, well, you know, to this day, I, I don't know that that was a Dan Snyder edict. It's just from what I've seen, all the other deals of note done here since in the Rivera era, at least the last couple of years have been that the installments were paid within one month. And now this year it was two months and it's happening at the same point. The owner we're here about cash flow issues and a potential sale. So, well, I think that that report from you is one of the most significant things regarding the sale of the commanders that has been reported. The reporting on the sale has been all over the place and has been confusing and at times conflicting. What you had in that report was something concrete that certainly seemed to speak to the sale actually happening. Uh, do you think that when the sale happens matters? Like whether the sale is done in April or May or June or July. Hey, I want the sale done as soon as possible, but does the when matter as long as the what? Is Dan Snyder at some point in the coming months selling majority ownership of the team? Yeah, um, trying to think here. You know, I I don't know. I'm trying to think what would be the things that an owner could have an influence on. Um, you know, uh, obviously the most obvious is, you know, well, could he come in and, and, and pull the the Jerry Jones and bring Jimmy Johnson with him immediately and just throw everybody out. I mean, I guess that's conceivable, but the longer that, you know, the longer that goes, then the less likely you would think that would happen at some point. Like, you know, you can't just bring everybody in training camp starting tomorrow, you know, <laughs> that, that, that type of deal. So, I mean, I would think that at this point that Rivera would be safe regardless, but I'm just saying that would be like sort of the extreme of something getting done sooner than later. Beyond that, you know, look, they've already made the majority of their moves. I guess if the owner came in and was just overly aggressive and saying, hey, go get Lamar Jackson. I don't care what the cost is. Just go do it like that type of deal. Then that's another one where, like, you know, sooner than later is it is a better uh, a better deal. At some point, the Ravens are going to you know, presumably resolve that. Um, other than that, I don't know. Like, does the owner come in and say, hey, we definitely want to get on hard knocks? 
so, you know that 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 type of deal. Maybe I don't think the you know the training camp where it's going to be probably matters too much to what the owner situation is. Um, maybe, but you know, probably unlikely this close. So probably not a big deal at this point. Uh, you know, the fact that everything will have already occurred, meaning um, uh, you know, free agency in the draft, and you know, they, it's not like they're like being fiscally irresponsible or anything with the, the salary cap or, or whatever. Like you know, the, the, so I, I I I guess my long answer is no, but that's as much about like practical stuff, the intangible aspects, like just everybody feeling better about the world. I mean, that, you know, like you said, that can't come soon enough. And that's probably the type of thing that you can't measure what that means, but surely there'll be a lot more, you know, smiles and, 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 and just general happiness around the team and around everywhere else just to get out from under, um, you know, the Snyder uh, cloud. And of course, that has been quite the cloud. Uh, Commander's Insider Ben Standing of The Athletic. Great insight on the sale of the Commanders. Thanks a lot, and we look forward to talking actual Commanders football in part two of our conversation. Al, always a pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. All right. Hey, grow your business or practice by advertising on the Al Galdi podcast. Podcast advertising is very affordable. Uh, we are offering great deals and podcast advertising works. Email us. See what we can do for you. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. All right, the Wizards, they now have just two games left in the team season. Uh, they fell to 34-46 and 46 with a 134-116 loss at the Atlanta Hawks on Wednesday night. And what was the Wizards' final road game of the season? Uh, the Wizards finished this regular season a mere 16-25 and 25 on the road. Uh, the Wizards on Wednesday night lost for the 12th time in 15 games and lost for the 14th time in 18 games as, yes, the Wizards continued to very much tank. Uh, they, for a second consecutive game, were without six key players. Bradley Beal did not play for an eighth consecutive game due to left knee soreness. Kyle Kuzma did not play for a ninth consecutive game due to a sprained right ankle. Chris Dabbs Porzingis did not play for a fourth consecutive game due to a non-COVID illness. Monte Morris did not play for a third consecutive game due to right ankle soreness. Denny Avdia did not play <laughs> for a second consecutive game due to left elbow bursitis. And Delon Wright did not play for a second consecutive game due to a non-COVID illness. Make no mistake, the Wizards over these last few weeks have embraced the tank, at least for the rest of this season. And that is a good thing. But, you know, this is comical, right? I mean, Chris Stapps Porzingis has been out for four straight games due to a non-COVID illness. That must be some illness that the Zinger is dealing with. Uh, there's no point in talking much about this loss at the Hawks. If the Wizards as a team did not care about this game, then why the heck should we? What I do want to talk about, though, is the big Wizards news from Wednesday morning. Wizards insider Josh Robbins of The Athletic on Wednesday morning reporting that the Wizards are keeping Wes Unsell Jr. as their head coach for the 2023-2024 season. Uh, I, in recent weeks on the podcast, had brought up whether Wes Jr. might be in trouble, given that this is his second season 
as Wizards head coach. And each season has been a disappointing season, but it would appear as if the Wizards are keeping him at least going into next season. Uh, what actually happens next season may be a different story. But, you know, the Wizards' problems are about a lot more than the team's head coach. If you're going to talk about why the Wizards are mired in mediocrity, why the Wizards are the going-nowhere team that they are, Wes Unsell Jr. is way down the list of reasons for why these things are the case. He can only work with what he's given. Uh, that said, he has not done anything over his two seasons as Wizards head coach to make you feel great about him as Wizards head coach. I wanted the Wizards to hire Wes Jr. Uh, as their head coach when they hired him in July 2021, in large part because of his reputation as a good defensive coach. Uh, Wes Jr. was an assistant for the Denver Nuggets for six seasons, 2015-2016 through 2020-2021. He, in December 2020, was promoted to associate head coach for the Nuggets. He oversaw the Nuggets' defensive game plans. The Nuggets' top three players, Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, and Michael Porter Jr., were not known to be very good defensive players, and yet West Jr. got those guys to D up. Well, the Wizards for last NBA regular season were number 25 out of 30 NBA teams in defensive rating, which is points allowed per 100 possessions per NBA.com. And the Wizards for this regular season are number 21 out of 30 NBA teams in defensive rating. Uh, bottom third in the NBA in defense in each of West Jr.'s two regular seasons as Wizards head coach. Uh, additionally, the Wizards last season became an absolute mess internally with guys not getting along. Uh, a lot of that goes on the president and general manager, Tommy Shepard, who, of course, put the team together. But that West Jr. did not do a better job at getting these guys on the same page was disturbing. And you look at the Wizards this season, some injuries, yeah, tanking lately, yeah, but the overall results have not been good, despite two of the Wizards' top three players, Chris Tapps, Porzingis, and Kyle Kuzma, mostly having played well when healthy. Uh, the Wizards being mired in mediocrity, of course, starts with ownership, starts with Ted Leonsis, uh, and then does continue to Tommy Shepard, whose drafting has not been very good. Uh, I think to sit here and bang the drum of, hey, West Unsell Jr. absolutely has to go would be wrong. But at the same time, he hasn't exactly killed it over his two seasons as Wizards head coach. It looks like he's coming back for a third season, but I would not be stunned if uh, he did not last for the entirety of that season. Two games left for the Wizards this season, home to the Miami Heat Friday night at 7 and home to the Western Conference worst Houston Rockets Sunday afternoon at 1. You know, there's something very appropriate about the Nationals having begun their 2023 regular season with series against the Atlanta Braves and Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, as the Nats are in this rebuild, the Braves and Rays are teams that the Nats can learn from, can borrow from. The Braves have won the National League East in each of the last five seasons, 2018 through 2022, and have become elite at acquiring developing, and locking up young players. And the Rays are one of the most amazing stories in sports, a team that does more with less better than any other team in sports. Uh, the Rays every season have a microscopic payroll, and yet the Rays have had a winning record 
for each of the last five regular seasons. How the Rays do what they do is something that every team in Major League Baseball, especially the Nats, should study. And as we now are seven days into this 2023 MLB regular season, we have the Rays at a Major League best 6-0 and and the Nats at 1-5. and No team in the majors has a better record than the Rays have, and no team in the majors has a worse record than the Nats have. Uh, the Nats lost to the Rays 7-2 at Nationals Park on Wednesday afternoon, completing a three-game sweep. Uh, the pitching matchup for the game, a battle of lefties. The Nats' Patrick Corbin versus the Rays' Shane McClanahan. And what went down in this battle of lefties like perfectly captures the state of each team. Uh, Patrick Corbin, once again, was bad. He allowed six runs in six innings. He gave up 10 hits, two home runs, a double, and seven singles. He recorded just three strikeouts. He did issue no walks. He did throw a good number of strikes. Uh, see over 92 pitches through 63 strikes versus 29 balls. But the bottom line was that he was bad once again. Corbin, in the top of the second, allowed a run. He gave up a leadoff bunt single by Randy Arozarena, despite a very nice barehanded scoop and throw by Nats third baseman Jamer Candelario, and then a very nice stretch by first baseman Joey Manessis to receive the throw. Uh, Arozarena initially was ruled out, but Rays manager Kevin Cash successfully challenged the play. Corbin then gave up a single by Harold Ramirez to center field, then gave up a one-out opposite field single by Taylor Walls to right field on a 1-2 pitch to load the bases. Corbin then gave up a one-out full count RBI sack fly by Jose Siri for a 1-0 raise lead. Corbin in the top of the third allowed two runs. He gave up a leadoff opposite field single by Yandy Diaz through the right side of the infield. And then Corbin gave up a two-run homer by Wander Franco to left field for a 3-1 raise lead. And Corbin gave up this homer despite having had Franco down in the count at 1.12. Now, then Corbin was good. He actually retired 11 consecutive raise batters, but he then, in the top of the sixth, allowed three more runs. Corbin gave up a two-out solo homer by Harold Ramirez to center field for a 4-2 raise lead. The homer went a projected 413 feet per stat cast. Corbin gave up a two-out opposite field single by Manuel Margot to right field, and Margot then stole second base. Then came a two-out RBI double by Taylor Walls to center field for a 5-2 raise lead. And I say double in that way because this was not a normal double. Uh, The double came on a high fly ball to center fielder Victor Robles, but Robles lost the ball in the sun as once again the mighty sun monster at Nationals Park struck. What is going on with the sun monster at Nationals Park so far this season? The sun monster needs to be tested for performance enhancing drugs because the sun monster at Nationals Park seems mightier than ever. Uh, But anyway, Victor Robles victimized by the sun monster and the ball ended up landing right next to him. Uh, This was painful to watch. Robles, as the ball was in the air, was using his glove for shade, but he clearly lost track of where the ball was and then he had a hard time corralling the ball. So that was unfortunate for Patrick Corbin. I'll grant you that. But Corbin then gave up a two-out opposite field RBI single by Jose Siri to right field for a 6-2 raise lead. Right fielder Lane Thomas then committed a throwing error that allowed Siri to advance to second base. But Siri then got greedy and uh, got thrown out and tried to advance to third base as shortstop C.J. Abrams did a nice job of on the run catching a throw 
from Jamer Candelario and then applying the tag on Siri. Uh, Abrams, by the way, also had another good defensive play in this game. Top of the second, runners on second and third. That's down one nothing. Abrams, a nice leaping catch with his left arm fully extended above his head for a lineout by Francisco Mejia for the third out. But yeah, Patrick Corbin, six runs in six innings, gave up a lot of hits. Uh, this off him in the 7-2 loss to the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park on opening day last Thursday afternoon, lasting for just three innings and allowing four runs to earned. So we had what we had with Patrick Corbin. And then with Shane McClanahan, he on Wednesday afternoon, two runs in six innings. He did issue four walks. He did give up five hits, two doubles and three singles, but the run prevention was there. Again, two runs in six innings. McClanahan has been really good for the Rays each of the last two seasons. The Rays took McClanahan with the number 31 pick in the 2018 MLB draft. So, you know, as we look at the Nats and the Rays and we do the compare and contrast and we examine why the Nats are where they are and why the Rays are where they are. And we have talked so much about why the Nats are in this rebuilding state. And the number one reason is their bad drafting and player development. Well, Shane McClanahan is a perfect example of a guy who has been developed very well. And note where he was selected. The number 31 pick in the first round of the 2018 draft. This idea that has been out there at times that the Nats farm system has been harmed by the team not having had high first round picks during the team's years of being a contender. That idea is wrong. Good players are everywhere in MLB drafts. The onus is on you as a team to find those players and properly develop those players. And the Rays do an excellent job in those areas. Uh, the Nats on Wednesday afternoon had another tough game offensively. Uh, just two runs, just six hits, two doubles and four singles, no home runs. Uh, the Nats now in this regular season have been out-homered by opponents 13-2. Uh, the Nats had a one-run fourth in which they scored the one run, had the bases loaded with nobody out, but then didn't score any more runs. And that was especially disappointing considering that the three consecutive Nats who made outs with the bases loaded were three young players who you would have loved to see do better in this spot. Victor Robles fly out, CJ Abrams strikeout, Lane Thomas strikeout. I want you to take a listen to this. Uh, this exchange during Nats manager Davey Martinez's post-game press conference on Wednesday afternoon. You'll hear the question from Nats insider Jesse Doherty of the Washington Post, and then you will hear a rather lengthy answer from Davey. Here you go. Um, you mentioned going into the year swing decisions for guys like CJ, Victor, Kimber, all across the board are going to be really important this year. Is that fourth inning kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. So the, 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 the difference is, look, Vic's swinging about really well. Right, he says, don't change anything when you guys, guys, when, you know, don't try to do too much. We're not looking for, you know, a six-run homer. It ain't gonna happen, right? Stay within yourself. All we're looking for is, is keep, keep moving the, keep moving the chain, you know, keep, you know, keep working good at bats. Um, but you know, the, for me, I, you know, the pressure's on the pitcher, and not on you, right? You go up there and make them throw strikes like you've been doing, and try to hit the, stay in the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. That's something that we got to learn. You know, I mean, we got we got young hitters, we got young guys, you know, and I think they get sometimes they get overly aggressive. Um, sometimes we start chasing, you know. All of a sudden we get the count in our favor, and they really feel like, oh man, now I can hit, now I can really hit the ball, you know, over the fence. Now, you know, stay within yourself and just try to put the ball in play and get on base for the next guy. We're, we're doing better at that, but now all of a sudden when we got guys on base, 
now we got we got to start driving the runs. Yeah, Davey Martinez clearly not happy about the Nats' final three plate appearances in that one run fourth inning. Davey, during his postgame pressers, does not usually give lengthy answers. Uh, that right there was a lengthy answer, and that to me was a telling answer. Uh, the Nats on Wednesday afternoon did draw six walks. Uh, that was good. Lane Thomas had two of the walks. Uh, he was an Nats starting right fielder and number one batter. 0 for 3, but the two walks. He also went 1 for 1 on stolen bases as, yes, the Nats have a stolen base in this 2023 regular season. Thomas in the bottom of the first drew a leadoff seven-pitch walk despite having been down in the count at 1.12. He then stole second base for the Nats' first stolen base of this regular season. Now, he initially was ruled out, but Davey Martinez successfully challenged the play uh, as the Nats finally have themselves a stolen base with the new bigger bases. Uh, Lane Thomas in this regular season so far, batting average at 333 on base percentage of 385. Victor Robles had that aforementioned defensive boo-boo, but he also did have overall another productive offensive game. He was an ad starting center fielder and number eight batter. He went two for three with an RBI double, a single, and a walk. Uh, Robles in an at one run second to two out RBI double to the left center field gap on a one two pitch to tie the game at one. Robles in the bottom of the seventh had a first pitch leadoff single to left field, and Robles in the bottom of the ninth drew a one out seven pitch walk. Victor Robles in this young regular season, a batting average of 353 and an on-base percentage of 476. Not bad. Uh, Some other observations on the Nats lineup on Wednesday afternoon. Luis Garcia, for a second consecutive game, did not start. Uh, Michael Chavis, on Wednesday afternoon, was the Nats' starting second baseman for a second consecutive game. The Nats, on Wednesday afternoon, uh, like I said, faced a left-handed starting pitcher in the Rays, Shane McClanahan, fourth lefty starter who the Nats have faced over their first six games in this regular season. Luis Garcia, in his young major league career, has been a lot better against right-handed pitching than he has been against left-handed pitching. Davey Martinez, during his pregame press conference on Wednesday morning, did say that the Nats facing a lefty starter in each of these last two games of this series against the Rays was why Garcia didn't start either game. Uh, Here is what Davey said, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Jesse Doherty. Got a run of just left-handed pitchers, so I, I kind of want to pick my spots with him. Um, I just wanted about came in yesterday, pinch hit, hit the ball well, but uh, this guy's this guy we're facing today, he's, he's tough. Hey, tough, tough on lefties, you know. So, you know, I, I like you know Abram stays in there a little bit better on sliders, so he's going to play shorts today. But and Chavi won the bat well yesterday, so I want to get him back out there again and give him a couple of days. Um, but Louis will be back in there. We got a lefty tomorrow. We'll need him today, but he'll be out there again tomorrow. At what point do you say you want to put the best lineup out there, platoon, but also that we want Luis to maybe have an experience facing a guy like Clement? Like, what kind of how do you balance? Yeah, no, I mean, that, that, those, that day will come. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, you just it's early. I want to keep all these guys engaged. Um, Get get them all in there, you know. Stone here is going to DH today. You know, get him side bats against this guy. So, um, but he's he's definitely he's definitely going to play his share against left-handed pitchers. Okay, I hear Davey Martinez on all of that. I would just say two things. Uh, a, you don't get better against left-handed pitching by never facing left-handed pitching, and B. The Nats, as a rebuilding team, need to be giving a guy like Luis Garcia as much playing time as possible. He is talented. He has upside. He's young. There's a lot more reason to play him than there is to play Michael Chavis. All due respect to Michael Chavis. Uh, Chavis on Wednesday afternoon 
as the Nats starting second baseman and number six batter, one for three with an RBI single. He and that Nats one run fourth had an RBI single to left field to cut the Nats deficit to 3-2. Also with the Nats lineup on Wednesday afternoon, Joey Manessis was in the field and he finally got himself an extra base hit. My good friend Tim Shovers, the mastermind of the Nats Chat podcast, he on Wednesday morning emailed me that uh, <laughs> Joey Manessis's new nickname should be Joey One Bag as opposed to his usual nickname of Joey Four Bags. Uh, very harsh of Tim to write that. But hey, Joey Manessis had racked up nothing but singles so far this regular season. So Joey One Bag did seem apropos. But, you know, it was as if Joey hacked into my email because he then went out and got himself an extra base hit. So he, for each of the Nats' previous five games, had been the team's starting DH and number two batter. He, on Wednesday afternoon, was the Nats' starting first baseman and number four batter. And he went one for four with a double. Uh, Manessis in the Nats' one run fourth, a leadoff double to deep center field for his first extra base hit of this regular season. The Nats' usual first baseman, Dominic Smith, got the day off. And the Nats' DH was Stone Garrett. Uh, The Nats, this past Sunday morning, recalled Stone Garrett from AAA Rochester as the corresponding roster move to placing outfielder Corey Dickerson on the 10-day injured list with a left calf strain. Uh, The Nats signed Garrett as a free agent this past November, and he, on Wednesday afternoon, had a productive game. He has the Nats' starting DH and number seven batter, one for two with a single and two walks. Uh, Garrett in the Nats, one run second, drew a two-out walk. Garrett in the bottom of the fourth had a single up the middle on an 0-2 pitch to load the bases, uh, loaded bases uh, that were not converted on by the Nats. And Garrett in the bottom of the ninth drew a one-out seven-pitch walk. Uh, The Nats bullpen on Wednesday afternoon, two Nats relievers combined to allow one run in three innings. Thaddeus Ward allowed one run in two innings. He in the top of the seventh allowed a run on back-to-back one-out walks and then a two-out opposite field RBI single by Randy Arozarena to right field for a 7-2 raise lead. Ward did then toss a perfect top of the eighth and Anthony Banda threw a perfect top of the ninth. But the Nats lost a 1-5 and five homestand to begin their regular season. Some more from Davey Martinez from his postgame press conference on Wednesday afternoon. Well, we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're going to get better. You know, and, and that's, there's no doubt about that. And we got this a lot of baseball left. So I'm not going to put any onus on. Uh, of course, you know, I want to win every day. Believe me. And, uh, but I'm not going to put any onus on, on the first week of the season. I'm not. But uh, we got to get better. We got to get better quick if we want if we want to compete here. Um, we got to play together as a team and, and get get better. I mean, just play good team baseball. So, and that that'll that'll happen. You know, we, we get to go on a road now. Um, get on a plane and uh, go face Colorado in their home home opener, Colorado, and and, uh, and just try to win tomorrow. Yeah, so next up for the Nats, a seven-game trip out west, uh, beginning with a four-game series at the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, the Nats are headed to Coors Field, the most notorious hitter's park, probably in Major League history. I mean, there have been some other notorious hitter's parks, but Coors Field for decades has been where pitchers get wrecked and uh, where hitters feast. Uh, The altitude at Coors Field blows away the altitude for any other Major League ballpark. Game one of the series, Thursday afternoon at 410, Josiah Gray will be the Nats' starting pitcher. Uh, that is going to be interesting. Josiah Gray is coming off a disastrous regular season debut, and uh, he now is going to be pitching at Coors Field. Not exactly ideal. Gray in the Nats' 7-1 loss to the Braves at Nationals Park this past Saturday. Five runs in five innings. He gave up three home runs, including solo homers, to the first two batters he faced.
Well, as expected, Wednesday was gray day for the Orioles. Uh, the O's on Wednesday morning play starting pitcher Kyle Bradish on the 15-day injured list, retroactive to April 4th uh, with a right foot contusion that he suffered in the Orioles' 2-0 win at the Texas Rangers on Monday night when Bradish tossed one and two-thirds scoreless innings with two strikeouts, but then got hit by a liner off the bat of Jonah Heim. And the corresponding roster move to the O's placing Bradish on the 15-day IL was them on Wednesday morning recalling starting pitcher Grayson Rodriguez, a.k.a. Grayrod, from AAA Norfolk. Uh, Grayson Rodriguez, he per MLB pipeline is the number seven prospect in baseball and the number two pitching prospect in baseball. He was supposed to begin the regular season in the Orioles major league rotation, but he had a terrible exhibition season. Uh, Five starts, 15 and a third innings, ERA of 7-0-4, whip of 157, although he did strike guys out. He had a strikeouts per nine innings of 11.15, but the O's on March 27th optioned Rodriguez to AAA Norfolk. Well, this Braddish injury brought Rodriguez right back up, and he on Wednesday afternoon was the Orioles starting pitcher, and he made his Major League regular season debut, and in a game at the Texas Rangers. Uh, Rodriguez is from Texas. The O's took him with the number 11 pick in the 2018 MLB draft out of a high school in Texas. Now, the O's on Wednesday afternoon did lose 5-2 as they were denied a three-game sweep and fell to 3-3, three and three. but the story of the game really, uh, from an Orioles perspective anyway, was Grayson Rodriguez, and he was solid. Uh, he allowed two runs in five innings with five strikeouts. He gave up four hits, a double, and three singles. He issued a walk and a wild pitch. He threw 83 pitches, 53 strikes versus 30 balls. Uh, Rodriguez in the bottom of the first allowed two runs, uh, gave up the two runs on a walk, a wild pitch, an RBI double, and an RBI single. Not a great start, but he then retired 13 of the final 15 batters he faced. A very nice job by Grayson Rodriguez, all things considered. Here were a series of exchanges with O's manager Brandon Hyde during his postgame session with reporters on Wednesday evening on Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah, I got a little nervous there in the first thing. That he wasn't, <laughs> might not get out of it. Um, it just it was really, looked really excited, a little jumpy. I thought he just really did a great job of settling down. I thought Adley worked well with him. Um, but he was throwing, you know, he was really good velocity, um, sort of land some more sliders and mixed up his pitches extremely well after that first inning. 97, I'm sure I got Seager with his last pitch. Not a bad way to end your debut. Either. Yeah, no, I'm really happy for him. I mean, you go, um, you can only give up two runs on the road in five innings, leave it with the score tied, did a great job. Uh, you know, great first experience and only get better from here. How impressive is it for a young guy to compose himself like that and get, like you said, after that first inning and really settle in? Yeah, it could have really unraveled there, and that would have, um, but he did a nice job. You know, just gave up the two there early, uh, and then nothing after that. So, uh, you know, I, I know he wishes he didn't give up those two, but it was a really nice debut. What did you think of his command? You said that was important going into this one. Obviously, walked the first batter, but none after that. Yeah, no, that was that was nice. <laughs> um, you know, the the. I think there was just nerves, honestly, that first inning. But from the, the second inning on, the fastball command was was a lot better. He um, wasn't yanking the slider as much. Uh, kind of just really did a nice job of keeping guys off balance and attacking the strike zone. Kind of an obvious question, and maybe you haven't gotten that far yet, but five days from now, is he out there again for you? We have not gotten that far yet. 
All right. So no commitment to Grayson Rodriguez staying in the Orioles rotation. But the good news is that he made his case and he made his case well. Uh, Here was some of Rodriguez's postgame session with reporters on Wednesday evening. When you find out you're coming up here, what was that 24 hours kind of like? Yeah, so uh, I was on the field uh, in Norfolk playing catch, and uh, just kind of they pulled me off to the side, and uh, then that's when they told me that I was going up. Uh, and it was pretty hectic after that, um, seeing the, I guess, the just the, the flight was like an hour and a half. I, I was just speechless. What were the emotions of the last 24 hours for you, and what was it like out there? Were you able to make it as close as you could to another game? Yeah, I mean, it happened quick. So, uh, I mean, the, the emotions are definitely high, uh, but it was just kind of a whirlwind. So, do you disappointed were you when you got sent down at the end of spring training and it seemed like this might not happen? Um, yeah, it was disappointing. Um, obviously, having the goals to break with the big league team, but just going and getting after it, getting consistent work, that's kind of what it was all about. And, uh, you know, thankfully, it was a pretty quick turnaround, so we were able to come out here and make a start. The debut is going to be special no matter what, but, but doing this in Texas, like three hours from, from home, did that make it even even more memorable? Yeah, so, I, I mean, I grew up watching the Texas Rangers. Uh, you know, a lot of memories at the old ballpark. Um, you know, getting to come and throw here uh, is pretty special. Yeah, I tell you, I did not know what to expect from Grayson Rodriguez on Wednesday afternoon, given how poorly his exhibition season went, but he did a nice job. Uh, Reliever Austin Voth, the former national, he on Wednesday afternoon did not do a nice job. He allowed three runs in one and a third innings, and the Orioles' offense on Wednesday afternoon did not do a nice job. Uh, Just two runs just two hits to go with three walks. The O's got dominated by the Rangers ace, Jacob deGrom, the former New York Med. Two runs in six innings, 11 strikeouts. But the takeaway from this game, if you're an O's fan, is what Grayson Rodriguez did. Next up for the O's is the regular season home opener, although that will not be happening when it was supposed to be happening. Uh, the O's were supposed to host the New York Yankees on Thursday afternoon at 3.05 for game one of a three-game series at Oriole Park at Candid Yards. But the O's on Wednesday afternoon announced that, quote, after consultation with MLB, tomorrow's home opener at Oriole Park at Candid Yards has been postponed due to the forecast of severe inclement weather. The game will be made up on Friday, April 7th at 3.05 p.m. Eastern Time, end quote. Uh, The O's have started their regular season with a six-game road trip. Uh, Now comes a seven-game homestand. And that will do it. For you and me for now, keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 545. We'll provide you with more on the commanders. Also, we'll talk nationals and capitals. The Nats are at the Colorado Rockies Thursday afternoon at 410 for game one of a four-game series. And the Caps are at the Montreal Canadiens Thursday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. And the other one's a guard. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. 
This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.